Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show after a disappointing weekend in the Champions Cup for Munster and Leinster. We're coming live from the Aviva Stadium and we're joined by former Ireland head coach Eddie O'Sullivan. In this episode we're going to look at Munster's kick-heavy game plan, their shortcomings in attack and also the brilliance of Saris. And after Leinster lost in Lyon, we'll talk about their disastrous opening 15 minutes. Eddie, will there be big regrets or, or were they beaten by better teams this weekend? Uh, I think there'll be regrets uh, in Leinster for sure. I think they'll look back in this game as a golden opportunity to get to a European final and they let it slip based on their first half performance. I think Munster will look back and say, look, we did everything we could uh, with the game plan we had and we just beaten by a better team. So I think there'll be different emotions going around. But I think Munster will take solace out of the fact that, you know, if you went back 10 months, you'd never have said Munster would be in this place. So there's a lot in for that. But... I think it shows as well that they have a long way to go if they're going to eat at the top table again. Yeah, there was a clear gulf, particularly in that match. I think Leinster will have, as you said, the bigger regret. They left it behind them in that 15 minutes. But in terms of the season overall for these two provinces, obviously Ulster had another disappointing European campaign, but have the Irish sides shown that they're back? Yeah, among, among we're, the we are back. There's no doubt about that. And you'd like to think Ulster are far away. Um, Connacht, you know, it's, one, it's kind of the rebound season after a great year last year. I don't think I expect them to do the same. But I think, yeah, we're, we're back in the hunt. Um, I think as well, if you look at the Pro 12, um, you know, I think we probably have two Irish teams, I think, in that as well, the way things are going. Oh, that could change, obviously. Uh, but that's kind of wearing uh, green colour spectacles on it. But certainly we're, we're back in the mix um, in a big way. I think for different reasons. Um, I think Leinster developing uh, a game plan, a style that suits around them and so on Munster. But I think at the moment Leinster are further down the track in terms of their potency and, and their ability to, to beat probably the stronger teams uh, in, mm. in Europe. And a pretty incredible squad. Let's let's jump in with, with the Munster game first. Uh, we were here at the Aviva Stadium and 37 kicks out of hand. It was a massive part of their game plan. I think by about kick 13, the groans started going around the stadium. Yeah. People were getting a bit restless with, with the tactics. Could you see why they did it? Or could you maybe explain to us why Munster kicked so much? Um, I think if you step back and say, well, look, you're coming to play one of the top teams in Europe, the champions. Uh, what's our strategy? Our strategy is to play territory, stay out of our own half, uh, knowing that Saracens don't take risks in their own half. Um, so they kept Saracens pinned back. So territory was over 60%. That sort of the game, part of the game worked. The kicking game, I suppose, on a balanced monster won the kicking game. So in terms of kind of staying in the game for long periods and keeping Saracens pinned back uh, in a kind of a cup final scenario, because it's a one-off, I think that was their mentality going into the game. Um, and they won that side of it. But the big problem for them with all the territory and all the possession, they were just incapable of breaking down. What, what is a superb Saracens defence? But they would have known that coming in. So it begs the question, when they got into those kind of kill zones, where they could really extract some dividends and you know, get the scoreboard taken over, they couldn't get it done. And, and their game plan and their strategy with the ball in hand comes into question on the back of that. Where they put themselves on the field, how long they stayed there, the possession of territory, yeah, they got all that bit right, but when they, what they had and what they used their possession, probably very poorly at the end of the day against the Saracens team that were set up to lock them down. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really relevant point, is that you get into these areas really intelligent. Like, there's different ways to, to gain territory in rugby. Some sure. teams use the ball through the hands, yep. run into that zone. But and we saw Leinster that in the second half exactly. in France. But you're dead right. There's different ways to skin the cat. But when you're down there and you're in that sort of, a, I call it the kill zone, where you have a chance to make to, to score. It doesn't matter. It could be three, it could be five, it could be seven. You've, you've got to 
get some dividend for your efforts. And, and Munster just didn't score for 70 minutes, when you yeah. think about it. You know, they got Detroit at the very end. It's 70 minutes earlier they, they scored their penalty. And that, to me, showed that they just could not find a way to break down uh, the Saracens' defence. And it wasn't that they were badly set up, but th their intent seemed to be to do what they've done all season. And to successfully do what they've done all season is bully teams all over the field. Mm. And when they get into that last 15, 20 metres, they usually extract something. But Saracens weren't, weren't going to let that happen. And, and yeah. they really kind of ran out of, I suppose, ideas long before the end of the game. Yeah, well, like you mentioned that, we're going to take a look at an example of that. Um, we talk about kicking into the right zone on the pitch, but actually when Munster were in the right zone, they often followed it up with another kick. This example is, is Duncan Williams. Um, we see in the top left here, for example, they set a rock wide on the right uh, after one of those Tyler Blaindock kicks, uh, kind of shallow kicks to, to Andrew Conway. They win the ball back. Um, but instead of playing off that, instead of, you know, we've got Saracens slightly disjointed here, he actually kicks over the top here. He, he signals for Tommy O'Donnell to, to follow up the kick. Um, and we can see to his left, like he's got all these options. Yeah. Munster, as you say, are in that yeah. good shape. Yeah, Saracens are probably well set. They, they recover and scramble really well. But instead, he lofts this ball over the top straight into the hands of Alex Gould. It's an easy out for Saracens. Anyway momentum, yeah. It's an easy out for Saracens. It's not asking Saracens any questions they're going to struggle to answer. And, and attack is about asking questions to the defence that they're going to struggle to answer. Not every attack is going to lead to a try. Not every channel you go down is going to give you big dividends. But it's about, we call it patience, but being smart about where you go on your next strike. So that eventually you, you get your dividend. And the problem for Munster was that everywhere they went, and they didn't venture too far away from the first pass. That was the mm -hmm. problem. And at times it was crying out for just one more pass into another channel and go after Sarsons and maybe we get more traction. Maybe we don't get a try, but we get further in behind them, and from that we build something else. They never got that sort of momentum. I think, for me, at the first half, the alarm bells went off. As I think Munster got within two or three metres of the Saracens line. I think um, Peter, Manny, Peter Manny got a soft shoulder, yeah. and we're right under the post. So this is where Munster, you know, they always extract some, some dividend. And I think it was probably 10 or 15 phases later, they were back around the 22 and they got turned over, and it was against 14 men, and you're going, oh, problem here today. And I think by the second half, they realised there was a problem, and the second half, you had another one of those sequences where two scores down, the game clock is running out, and Blendell drops in the pocket and hmm. goes for a drop goal, which is not going to change the momentum of the game. I think even the Munster players at that stage had believed it wasn't going to be their day, and that's a pity, because they did a lot of good things, but they just were not able to craft a game plan to break down Saracens yeah. when they got into that key area. Yeah, well let's actually look at that example, the, the Blaindale drop goal. I thought it was a really telling sequence in the game. I thought it summed it up because it lasts four minutes, ball in play time. Munster start with a, with a line out in the 22. They actually mess up the line out and we'll come back to that element of the game, but they go through those 18 phases. Um, and we're going to look here, like it's a brief example and probably doesn't illustrate that well, but it's a double tackle by Saracens. They kept getting one in low, then one in barging yeah. on the body. A really good tackle technique, but because Munster were running into those areas, they could double up. Um, and they go through 18 phases of this brilliant Saracens defence. Their work rate was really good. If you listen on the ref mic as well, just incredible communication. And you end up with this situation. We have Blaindahl here dropping the goal. But actually, the entire Munster team is within a half of the pitch. You know, they're so narrow. It becomes so narrow. Now, to be fair, they did set up 1-3-3-1 at times. Yeah, yeah. And they used those three-man pods, you know, inside the 15s and there was options out the back but they didn't take them yeah. they just went into contact and 
okay, that's okay, but you have to take that option sometimes. Not all the time, but when you're going to that contact, the ball has to be quick, but Saracens are wrapping four guys around the corner. The advantage they had outside that was gone within an instant. Yeah. And I think there was a fantastic, again, little, little cameos that stick in your mind of Saracens. They made the double tackle, all right? The player who was at the assist got up and was in the line. And then the player who made the tackle got up and was in the line. Then spotted Munster were shy at the rock, counter-rocked. The, the assist tackler meant counter-rocked and they won. Yeah. So Saracens won the ball back on a counter-rock with a tackler and an assist. They didn't even put any more resources in. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair to Munster, this Saracens defence, it's hard to find a chink in it. it. They are very, very good. They're very organised. They're very aggressive. They're fantastic work ethic. Their communication is brilliant. It's a very, very good defence. But you must say on the other side of it, I don't think Munster asked them very difficult questions. And yeah. Saracens were happy all day, even without the ball. They knew nothing bad was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, this particular sequence, just to, to finish up, that sums up your point about Saracens' like, work rate and, and work ethic, and even the double tackle. Because here, by the time they've kick-chased three times up the pitch, Munster go back at them again, they go back again, and just the work rate in that kick-chase is incredible. But here we can see Shock Brits and Chris Ashton combining after they've completed that tackle. It was a bit of a legal tackle. I think Chris Ashton uh, caught Conway on the top of the neck, but they turned the ball over. And then three minutes, 47 seconds after the ball has, has been thrown into play, Farrell uh, brings up this brilliant um, uh, grubber kick in behind. Tyler Blaine, I think, is quite fatigued. He should probably be further across the pitch sprinting, but he can't get there. And, and Wiles gathers to score. Just a, a remarkable example of that work rate that Saracens bring. But I guess my question for you uh, in terms of coaching attack, is that the hardest thing to... To bring because Razzie Razzie has been here for as he says nine months ten months he wanted to start with foundations is that always the thing that was going to come last uh, I don't know if it has to be that way no he's his own strategy and his own plan and you must give him credit with kind of re-energizing Munster to where they are it's been a really good season for them you know if we go back ten months nobody had this sort of ambition that they'd be in the top four of the Pro 12 that they'd be in a semi-final top four in Europe so they've come a long way um, but I don't subscribe to the fact that you have to get all these things done before you can play a bit. I think you can do both. You know, plenty of talent in that Munster team. Now, you must remember as well, maybe if you look at a step well back from this and look at a cultural side of it, Munster teams culturally like to play a physically dominant game. I mean, I remember myself with guys like uh, O'Connell, Leamy, uh, Flannery, when I was in Ireland, they always bellyached a bit about when we didn't go to the, uh, with the forwards early doors or we didn't go, go after teams up front a lot we might have played a wider game against certain teams now we did it with other teams but they were never that comfortable in that style because right. it's a monster thing it's it's the part of the monster culture and they do it really really well that's how they play that's how the guys come through the system um then you've got a south african coach who in by himself like if you look at south african rugby it's a very physically dominant game so there seems to be a meeting of the minds there and they, they they like to play that way and then it's been very successful all season they're in a pretty good place they got to a top four in europe they're in the top four in the pro 12 they have strangled teams to that in the pro 12 you know and um, they've been on a run of, of not losing games so maybe it's very hard to step back and go we got to change everything today you don't have to change everything but you have to think outside the box and i thought they were going to because i thought Erasmus hinted to that during the week that there yeah. was a few tricks but I don't know if we saw yeah. them no, maybe they went over them and they didn't get them out of the box but I have to think that like what we were, what we did see is that Munster need this evolution now not a revolution an evolution in their attacking game they need to be able to play across the field it can't be all just in your face one off runners and strangling teams physically it, it'll get you so far 
But when you get to the business end of the season, the guys standing opposite you aren't going to fall over that easily. And that's where the, the problems begin, as we saw last Saturday. Yeah, that cultural element is fascinating, and the fact that you've experienced that, because when Rob Penny came in with his 2-4-2 and having guys in, like forwards locked in the white channels, there was a lot yeah, of, the, as you say, bellyaching. Oh, think yeah, it, that it. was... That, he was probably too honest. He told everybody what he was trying to do, like the dogs in the street in Limerick were talking about the wide, wide attack, you know. And it's very on Munster. That is very un-Munster way of playing. And Erasmus has captured that cultural d dimension back again, where they, they are in your face, they're aggressive. They're, fan they're usually fantastic in that final third of the field. They never leave without something. Yeah. They strangle you to death. And, and teams almost accept, oh, we're in trouble here. We're not getting out of here without a score. It's almost they buy into it. But I think that doesn't get you all the way to the party. Like it, it's, it's very close, but... like. They need to put that extra dimension on their game now. Now you say maybe that's the next thing. It is the next thing. I don't know if it couldn't have been done along the along the way as well. You know that that this monster team has some very good footballers. Mm. They have some really good footballers, and it's funny, Blendal as a ten, who I think has been a huge factor in their game. He's actually very suited to that game. He's a great guy to go to the line, and he's a superb passer. Probably the weakest part of his game is his kicking game. When you think mm -hmm. about it, yeah. So he's actually they have a ten who can play this game, you know, and they have other players across the line who can do that. Zebo can play first receiver, you know. He's a very talented attacker. So the, the, the personnel are there. The question is when they're going to start yeah. using them, you know. They seem to hesitate. That, like as you say, Blaindahl's good at that. He didn't really take the ball to the line much at all. And no, because the ga I think the game plan was yeah, territory yeah. possession. Grind them down, you know. Players need to be able to sometimes go. Actually, I got to make a decision. I'm the ten. I gotta make a decision here and go back my instinct. Well, you are the quarterback of the team, and if you change the dynamic of the game, you know. And it, I think there was a case for Munster, you know, early in the second half when they were still in the mix, but you could never see them really putting enough points on the board the way they were playing. Was to cut loose yeah. and have a crack, and if they went down, kind of running uh, at Saracens, then I think you know they probably might be a bit more comfortable in their skin this week after doing that. But they yeah. never really. Never really did that. And I think they'll be regretful about that to some degree, I think. Yeah. They did a lot of things right. And I don't think Munster played badly on the weekend. They actually played very well. They, did, they dominated possession and territory. But they just didn't have the extra strings in their bow to pick apart the team of the, of the calibre of Saracens. Yeah. You know, and it was always going to be a, a big ask. But you know, they didn't really give it a shot, I think, in that department. Yeah. You mentioned those possible pack, uh, out the back door passes. We have one of the examples we're going to look at here. And this is, as you say, early in the second half. Uh, the game is still 6-3 in Saracens' favour. I think we're in the 47th minute here. Um, and we've got a rook just here. Uh, and you can see there's nice um, width in, in, the, in the Munster attack. You mentioned that 1-3-3-1 one, three, three, one shape. Yep. Um, and it's on. Like there's, there's space on that outside edge just here. Yep. Maybe not a try-scoring space, but let's, get, let's try and get to that zone. But and that changes the, the dynamics and the shape of the defence. If you get exactly. out there, and then they have to adjust. And then maybe you get a softer shoulder the next time. But if you run into the teeth of the, the jaws of the defence, it's a slow rock, they wrap around. The next one is just the same. It's another, it's another, like, it's another carrick to get any yardage. You know? Yeah, and that's what they do here. Kilcoyne is in the middle of that forward pod. He gets on the ball there. And you can see just out the back, it's Rory Scannell, that guy that you would have hoped was the second playmaker just outside yeah. Blaindahl. He's calling for the ball. And I actually remember watching it live in the stadium. He kind of threw a little bit of a strop on the pitch afterwards. Why didn't this ball come to me? Instead... Like this is in the Munster forwards mindset. I'm not trying to pick on Dave Kilcoyne, but he's 
been told to carry hard these guys. And that's why he's, 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 he's a great carrier. But you saw him on. They have it identified. I mean, I t- think Klinkfein is a world class ball carrier. Yeah. I don't care who he's playing against. If you don't get him, he'll slip out and he'll run again out of five or ten meters. And we've seen that international level with him. But you saw Saracens had their homework done. They shut down Stander. They shut down Omani. They shut down Kilcoyne. They picked their men and they got in, chopped and, uh, and barged and got him on the ground early. And so, you, you know, give Saracens credit for doing their homework. They knew yeah. what Munster were going to bring. And they shut it down reasonably comfortably. Yeah, definitely. We just want to la- finally look at those kind of carrying stats uh, just to kind of highlight the point. Total of 111 carries, excluding the kick return, which maybe you can't, doesn't tell you a lot about the philosophy. But pick and goes 19, then one out carries 46 of them. So you're talking nearly 60% of your carries yeah. right around that rock. Around that area. Uh, zero support carries, which we're talking about a, an offload or a second or a kind of carry in, behind, yeah. The, yeah, in yeah. behind the line. It just didn't happen. So that tells us enough about Munster's game plan and certainly backs up well, you see, everything we've been saying. Like, again, if you're, if you're being a bit harsh, I mean, Zebo's best moments are when Sarsis kicked the ball to him. Yeah. You know, and he, he, he looked dangerous. But he didn't get enough of ball in his hands on Saturday in, in places where he could, could hurt Saracens. I mean, he's the kind of guy you don't want to play against. And Munster didn't get enough ball in his hands, you know. I think late in the game, Saeeli came in, then the game was slipping away. You saw him cutting loose a bit. That's the only his, line break of the game. Yeah, he, that's his thing, you know. But I think they didn't need to have Saeeli in the field to do that. They, they, could have, they could have used more players across the line to go after that sort of uh, opportunity. But look... It's, look, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's what we're doing here. But I just think that the, the bigger picture here is that Munster came and played the way they always played. Uh, and the problem is against a team like Saracens, it's not going to get you where you want to go. They're just too good a side to bully like that and to, and to dominate. And the pity is that they didn't maybe take more risks um, and they might have given themselves a better shot at getting out the other side of it. Yeah, fine European, se- European season, but, but plenty more to come. I think there's plenty to do, and, and look, they'll reflect on this, and I think they, they'll, they'll probably you know, won't argue too much with a lot of things people are saying, which we're not, we're not saying too much different than a lot of people are saying, that Munster need to evolve their attack, uh, mm-hmm. put more, more dimensions on it and more shape on it. Mm, Razzie said it himself. Just a quick word on, on Saris and, and Mark McCall in charge of the impressive machine that is Saracens. He doesn't get too much credit back here. I, I think people find it hard to, to like Saracens, but I think that maybe that's changing slightly. H- how good a job has he done there? And is he a guy that could come back? Well, to Ireland? I think he's done a phenomenal job, obviously. Um, I think as well, he was, I suppose he did his apprenticeship under, under Brendan Venter, who was there before him. And Venter didn't just walk out the door. He was still involved at a distance, came over and back. Uh, he came into an organisation that had, at the very early days of their inception, had kind of gone with the boom and bust attitude. They spent a lot of money on, on, on marquee names. They won a trophy early doors, and then they just seemed to fall over themselves time and time again. I think they had a kind of a key moment a long time ago where they decided that they would rebuild the club, and they put a huge emphasis on culture in the club. Um, if you're in Saracens, you are you know, treated really well in terms of how you're looked after. Uh, they, they do everything. It's kind of a family environment. And they want players want to be at that club, but there's a cost, and the cost is that when you plan a Saracen short, you deliver week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out. They don't do anything too spectacular. They have some very good players. Uh, they never play in their own half. Yeah. You know, and if they did once on Saturday when Vinopola kicked the ball dead at half time, if they had one more pass there, yeah. but they're so Five programmed to get out of the half. But what they do is they make no mistakes in their own half. They defend brilliantly. 
they don't give away too many penalties and then they wear you down and they have the players to that. They have some phenomenal athletes. But I think the bigger picture for me and Saracens, because the type of rugby they play isn't phenomenal. I mean, I've been there a number of times. Chris Wiles, the US fullback, uh, still plays there. I came off the bench and got yeah. to try on Saturday. And I've talked to him a lot about Saracens. And he says the culture there is very strong, you know, that everybody plays for the jersey every time. Everybody uh, pulls together. It's a, it's a very cohesive unit. They're very good coaches, very clear vision of what they want. And they do a lot off the field to keep guys um, part of the club and, and as a family environment. And I think, you know, at the moment in terms of how they run their business, they're the, they're the envy of, of a lot of clubs in Europe. And their recruitment is very smart. They've just signed Liam Williams from Wales. Brilliant. Sign. You know, that, was, that didn't happen like two months ago. That's been going on for months probably. They saw him, this, this is the guy we need, it's the guy we want. And they do it quietly and then it's done. And I think they're a club now that are setting the standards. So to be fair to Munster, they've probably met the European champions again this year unless something goes badly wrong yeah. for them so you give Munster credit for that like they're, they're playing the, probably the best team in Europe but they do tick a lot of boxes as a club how you run a club how you manage a club how you create a good culture in a club and people talk about that but really it's crucially important in a professional sport that the culture around the club is very strong because people feed off it to become better and if it's not good they don't they, they feed off to become worse it's 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 an it's like an ecosystem and if you run it very well the dividends are very high yeah really impressive stuff from mark mccall slightly different philosophy in terms of how they play leinster we saw them come up short 27 22 after a bit of a comeback in mm. leon amazingly entertaining game spectacular occasion i really enjoyed the ga style pitch invasion at the end as well but they left them with, left themselves yeah. with so much to do what 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 does a start like that signify is it is it a mental thing or is it a uh. tactical thing I think there's been some talk that they were they were they were overhyped. They were too pumped up for the game. They probably went out a bit, you know. And you can see in some ways there might be some little bit of truth to that because when you go to France and you're playing away from home, and it's it's a big occasion and it's a big crowd, the most important thing to do is not to start badly. Ironically, that's exactly what they did. But I think it wasn't through lack of effort. It was almost too much effort at times. For example, they lost three lineouts on the bounce, like. There was one line-out where you felt, okay, they're under the pump here, they get out of their half, they get a line-out, and they go, no, all they have to do here is win the line-out, hold on to the ball for three or four minutes, just play with the ball, make Claremont defend, maybe nick a penalty, and just take pressure off themselves, not to be locked in their own half. And they lost the line-out, Claremont go down, and they score again. And this is the kind of, this is the kind of, um, kind of self-inflicted wound that really kind of hurts you in a game like that. Plus... Uh, Isano says yellow card mm. like an innocuous jersey yes. tug that yeah. probably didn't make any difference but ref spots it yellow card and it's 10 points 3 for that plus then you know the try that, that, that scored after so I think they just inflicted too many wounds on themselves early in the game mm. and the ironic thing and the, probably the most annoying thing for Leinster is in the second half when, when they actually held onto the ball and played rugby they were the better team I mean Claremont were all over the shop. They didn't know how to defend the one three three one. They kept biting down on those those runners when there was no need to and got caught in the corners. And you know, I'd say Leinster will look back at this game even years to come and say one that got away big big time. You know. Yeah, definitely. They're going to have to look at that defence even for the first try. Kind of was sending warning alarms. They they tacked in that blindside regularly. We're going to have a quick look at that example and the one where. Pesadiatu ends up scoring off David Stradle's really good kick. Uh, we have a ruck just set up here, so it's quite a short blindside. But um, you know, you think Leinster are going to have enough def defenders there? There's, yeah. there's four of them here, yeah. really. 
uh, but they get very narrow and it's Gary Ringrose on the edge and um, we'll just come back to that but he's there and he's he's not giving himself the chance to yeah. to get back out um, and that draws that means that when they pass the triple skip pass really nice pass from Morgan Parra when it hits Strettle and uh, Nasewa has to come forward to, to deal with him obviously um, and he puts that little really well weighted chip he had a superb game yeah. I think he's talked about uh, maybe showing uh, Stuart Lancaster what he's made of um, and Yato gets in w winning the, the race with his pace but talk to us about that defensive setup is that a is that an individual thing on the edge or is that how Leinster defend that, that no, hard I, edge? No, I think it was, it was a, it was a poor defence in the sense that they were a tad narrow, but not too badly so. I think the problem was the outside man. So and this, I think, is Ringrose here. He just played up too flat and too square. He just had to give himself just half a yard back and turn his shoulders out. Because when the ball leaves the passer's hands and it, it's in the air, he knows immediately none of these players are getting it. So he can actually leave with the ball. Yeah. and arrive and gives himself a chance to make the tackle. But once he's up flat and locks his shoulders in square, the ball's going to beat him. You've got and one option. Fantastic there. pass. He's just taking himself out of the defence there. And that means then they have to close the gate with the full back. The ball goes over the top and it's a foot race. Whereas if he just take a half a step back, turn the shoulders out, as the ball leaves the passer, he makes the read It's going over the top and he's off. And he might arrive with the ball, but he's pretty close after it and he's a chance of putting the guy into touch. Maybe mm. it's a turnover. Yeah. And they're the small little details that really hurt you, yeah. you know, against a team like that. Like, I thought Parra was outstanding, you know, and I thought when he went off, Leinster was shot here, you know, because he's yeah. such an influence on Claremont as, as, a, as a, he, he decides everything, basically. He yeah. runs the game. But he is a phenomenal scrum half. I, I just don't understand why he's not still involved with France. I would hate to play against him. But you saw his... His ability to manage a game there, he saw the opportunity, defence is flat, one pass, he puts a guy around the corner, leads to a try. So it's just those small little things like that, just taking us out of the game. And maybe it's just, we want to be aggressive here, we want to get off the line, we want to knock people on their backside. That's the difference between defence and tackling. Knocking people on their backside is tackling, defence is tackling the right person. Mm. And, and you've got to give yourself a chance to do that. The right person to tackle there was, was uh, the outside and he just didn't give himself a chance. Yeah, especially on that short side, because even even on the, the second try down that wing when Strell was gone, there was maybe three men there, but it was Levy on the edge. It's Levy on the outside. They are man down, but but even still, it, it's the same kind of principle. Give it's the exact that, same. Levy again got up flat, got locked his shoulder in towards the, the ball. So when the, the pass went over the top, he can't turn and get out. Yeah. And if he had just taken a half step back, turned his shoulders out, you can still see the ball. As the ball leaves the passer's hands, you know it's going through the air high, it's not going to be going through the hands. You can you can give yourself a shot. It would be tougher on Levy. He hasn't, wouldn't have the same pace as Ringrose, yeah. but he would have given himself a shot to do it. And unfortunately, those two moments were, were kind of catastrophic, you know, in yeah. terms of, of what they led to. A learning curve, definitely. One of the other areas in, the, in that first 15 minutes was the breakdown. Leinster kind of consistently losing ball in those wide channels. I, I think you mentioned their, their really nice 1 3 3 1 shape, which worked really well later in the game. I think at, at the start, they maybe struggled to get resources to that rocker or the decision making was maybe poor yeah, support. there's always a risk factor when you're playing um a kind of a set shape whether it's you know three four three or it's one three 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 one whatever the shape is and there's multiples there's always a danger that when you go to the line no matter where you go to the line you should be able to resource the rock because you don't know where the, where you're going to go to the line that's the whole point of having a shape you've got to make good reads go to the spaces um the danger of that is, I think, as well, Claremont identified the rooks early in the game. They wanted it into Leinster. Maybe they got caught a bit cold and not getting to the breakdowns quickly off. They got turned over a few times, which sucked a bit of momentum out of them. And it probably scared them a little bit. But 
for me, the second half, they obviously adjusted at halftime. They talked about the second half. In fact, they won penalties at the Rooks. The two penalties that brought them back into the game was they got numbers there and Claremont were, were, were called for going off their feet or, or for, for competing at the Rook and it brought them back into the game. But there's, there are things that can happen early in a game anyway. I, I don't think it was a major hang-up. I don't know why they lost the game, actually. Yeah. I think they lost the game because of the way they started. And um, as I said, the two examples there, the mistakes they made in those, at those key moments. And the line-out hurt them because... Not that the line-out would have got, meant they'd have scored another 10 points or so, but what the line-out would have done is taken the pressure off them, got them out of their half, kept the pressure on Claremont and a chance maybe to make a penalty or two. But if that yellow card hadn't happened, Leinster could have got in 5-3 behind instead of 15-3. Yeah. You know, that it's, kind of, it's that simple, you know. And they gave us a too high amount to climb. Yeah. We have a question from the audience, actually. Neil Keegan is in on. If Leinster don't win the league, is this season a failure? Um, I don't think it's a failure. Um, you know, like <laughs> it's interesting people look at it that way because um, if you take the American model uh, of NFL and or baseball or whatever, it's all about getting to the playoffs, get to the playoffs, and then see what happens. Because playoffs are, are cup finals. You know, w one team goes home after at the end of it, and things can change again. You know, like let's say that. Rougerie, that, that holding on Rougerie doesn't have doesn't get called. Yeah. I think Leinster win the game. Yeah. I think they want to win the game. I think Claremont are rattled at the core at that stage, and then it's a different discussion. Like you know, they're in a they're in a pro they're in a they're in a Heineken for a European yeah, final, and no one's really talking about the Pro 12 at the moment. So, like, it's all about getting to the playoffs. Now, when you get to the playoffs, you want to deliver, but things can go right or wrong. I mean, it's down to the day. If Leinster play Munster in the final at the Pro 12, you know, and Munster happen to prevail on the day, it doesn't take away from everything Leinster achieved this season. So you, we've got to stop looking at seasons based on if there's silverware on the table, it's a success, and if there's not, it's a failure. You know, I, I don't think you can do that because winning silverware is a fickle thing. It's, it always comes down to maybe 80 minutes of rugby and things can go wrong. Despite the fact we all agree that Saracens are the best team in Europe, is there anybody putting their house on that Claremont won't win the, the, the European Cup. Yeah, no, it can happen. It can happen on the day. <coughs> Doesn't, if Saracens don't win the European Cup, does that mean they're a failure? I don't think so. Mm. So we have to be careful how we, 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 we think about outcomes at the end of a season. Yeah, it's, you do want to do it. You want to put yourself in that position. But like Leinster, I think, will take a lot out of last weekend, a lot of remorse that they didn't play well. But they still know that on any given day, they're right up there. Uh, with the top teams in Europe, and Claremont are one of them. Munster, you know, they have a little bit of a road to travel. It's yeah. a different place to be. Definitely. Thanks to Neil for that question. We have another one from Andrew Clark. He says, we're Zebo and Ringrose. Unlucky to miss out on the Lions. Nice try from Ringrose yeah. in that second half. Great try. Um, well nice? taken. I mean, kind of Dricko-esque and the way yeah. he ducked under two tackles and then just scorched his way into the in goal. Um, yeah, I, I think he was unlucky. I thought Zebo was unlucky. There's always going to be a few of those. Look, it's a long uh, line store, you know, and I think both of them have would be on the fringe now. If that hadn't happened, they'd be pretty close to getting a nod. So I think they're a bit unlucky, but it's just that's the way line selections go, um, yeah. you know. Uh, but having said that, I think they wouldn't be able to play us out there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair enough. You, you mentioned how close you were, just, just to wrap up our Leinster, Leinster discussion, how close you were to having an Irish team in the final with Leinster, um, and that we can't just 
be really conclusive in our, our decisions. But um, this is the actual um, missed opportunities for, for Leinster late, late on in the game. Mm. Or actually, in the second half, we want to just have a quick look at them. Um, in the first example, we've Hayden Triggs on the ball here. Yeah. Um, he's got Sexton, he's got Ringrose, and he's got two more actually on the right-hand touchline. All he needs to do is that little yeah. tip on pass. Just I think that goes. Yeah, I think that, that goes. You know, he's in. That, that's 53rd minute where you're back to 59. Yeah, um, they are, they are game-changer moments. I mean, huge. I think I think that pass goes, and for whatever reason it didn't. I don't, with, you know, with the noise and the pace, maybe Triggs didn't hear him. Because mm. he couldn't can't. pass, he's a, he's a comfortable Yeah, player. I think he's not in his line of vision. I think Johnny's coming a little bit late, so he probably can't see him. Johnny's probably screaming for it, maybe he couldn't hear him. Simple thing yeah. like that, but there's no doubt. He makes that pass, I think it's a try. Yeah, and there's another example, just to run through quickly. It's Ringrose on the ball this time. Um, he's got a lot of lot of men outside him here on the right. Just two Claremont defenders. Um, again, for whatever that's, reason, he opted yeah, to carry more into, disappointing carry into the ball. And that's the seventy seventh minute. Yeah. I know it's late in the game. You're losing twenty seven. No, I mean, look, 19, you get within a try there. You get within a drop goal or a penalty, and uh, you can maybe nick it. But yeah. that's disappointing. I know Ringrose will be disappointed with that because, like, he he's a centre. He's got to make that play. Like, it's one thing a second row, you know, not making a play like that. But certainly a centre has to make it and. That it would be disappointed with that. They are the moments again that you get that can change the game. You don't take them. You look back at it and you you spend a lot of time you know scratching your head. But that was a moment there, and you felt at that stage like if Leinster could have hit the front, it was curtains for Claremont. Mm. You couldn't see any way back from. But the one thing I think that you give a lot of credit to to, to Leinster the way they played, but we have to as well step back and say I thought the Claremont defence was shambolic for all the good things Claremont did. I thought the defence was shambolic. They missed 34 tackles, I think, which is just ludicrous. Mm. And just watching the decisions they made when Leinster, like, and Leinster ran everything in the second half from their own 22, and they knew it was coming, they kept biting down on dummy runners. Like, the, the pods at three, they were biting down on those, and the ball would go out the back. It's a jailbreak every time. And you just wonder, like, what were Claremont thinking? Because if they do that against Saracens, it could get very, very ugly for them. But it was just very bad defence. But look, Leinster took advantage. And that's probably more grating for Leinster because the same thing would happen in the first half. Claremont wouldn't have defended any better in the first half, I don't believe, given the way they were reacting in their system. Um, no, they were a bit more fatigued in the second half, and you could see that. And they were making you know, poor enough er uh, judgment er uh, decisions on defence. But there's no reason to believe that had Leinster got into that shape earlier in the game, hold on to the ball a bit more, they had probably another maybe try or two there from. Yeah, j j just in terms of wrapping up that Leinster, uh, I suppose work on for them. We were talking about Munster building that attack for Leinster. Is there a big thing there, or is it just a case of getting that experience and doing it better next year? I just think Leinster are falling on the track. Yeah, and it's about just doing it better. You know, um, uh, they have huge depth as well in their squad. Particularly the back row depth is just ludicrous. Like. Like how they're going to keep all those guys. Yeah, Roddick was brilliant, I think. Oh, Roddick was, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, 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 uh, of Rhys Roddick. I think he's a phenomenal player. And I thought, like, he just showed why he is who he is um, on, on Sunday. Like, he was just he was just huge in that game. Like, not just in the second half, from the get-go, I thought he had a massive game. But, um, yeah, look, Leinster have a lot of depth. They're, I think, more confident of skin than they were last year. I think, you know, the... Um, the Lancaster factor is, is a big factor there. You know, everybody seems to be on the same page. But I think they'll look back and say, look, you know, a little more accuracy and we're going to be a serious outfit. It's very fixable. They're doing a lot of things right, Leinster. Mm. And again, like, yeah, they are probably favourites now for the for the um, Pro 12, but I wouldn't say if they don't win it, the season's a failure. I think it'd be okay. very harsh. But call it, Eddie. If we're, if we're here in a couple of weeks' time, it's Munster against Leinster. You think it's going to be? Um, I think Leinster have the horses, yeah. But look, 
it's a local derby if it's like that. So I think Munster won't be found wanting. But if you are looking at it in a cold, calculating light of day, which team has more strengths to their bow at the moment? Which team has more options? I think Leinster have more options. But um, I suppose a Munster man is hard to say it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to chat about that Pro 12 final. Cheers. <laughs>